Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes uncomfortable secrets of category creation in the B2B software space. On this week's episode, we have Kyle Lacey, CMO of Lessonly, a training, coaching, and enablement solution built for frontline teams, and Max Altschuler, VP of Sales Engagement and Outreach, the leading B2B sales engagement platform. We also are special guest hosted by Olivier Labay, our president at Metadata.com. All right. All right. So guys, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. My name is Olivier and I'll be hosting Category Creations. Today, we have Kyle Lacey from Lessonly, as well as Max. I just call him Max because I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Max works at Outreach. He does a bunch of stuff, but he's, uh, he's at Outreach right now. So today, the topic is category creation. So I'll uh, have uh, Kyle introduce himself first. Yeah, so thank you. I, I have a very simple name. I, I had Max on my podcast almost a year ago, I'm guessing, and I practiced his last name and I still can't say it. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Max. Um, uh, CMO at Lessonly, we're training software for sales and customer service teams. Um, I run a marketing team of about 45 people, about 250 people um, total in the company. Nice. Awesome. And what are you drinking today? I'm drinking Basil Hayden's 10-year Kentucky straight rye whiskey. Mm. I love that stuff. It's the green label. Okay. And Max, welcome to the show. Uh, Max Outschuler here. That's how you say it. I actually pronounced my own last name wrong. So don't ask my dad or my wife how to say my last name because uh, they say it the right way. Um, I'm the VP of sales engagement at Outreach. Um, kind of got a little bit of a hybrid role. Uh, ran marketing for a year at Outreach. Um moved into a role called sales engagement. That's our, our category uh, that our product is in, which we're going to go into here. And uh, we can go a little bit deeper later on the podcast of why I am my VP of sales engagement, um, which is also the title of our category. I am drinking um, Casa Azul tequila. You guys are very generous. Very classy. Um, got the bell. So I can get all dinging. And um, I... Usually drink the Reposado on the rocks with a couple slices of orange. So I'm trying that with the silver. Uh, I should not drink this whole thing by the end of this podcast. So. I, I, I sure hope you do. Uh, <laughs> and for everyone listening at home, my name is Olivier LeBay, uh, president at Metadata, and I am drinking a Negroni. So cheers, guys. Thanks for being on the podcast. Cheers. Okay, so Max, um, every five minutes or so, you can ring the bell so we can remind ourselves. To have I also bell. have a cowbell. That's really annoying. Is that a llama bell? Is that like the... That's a, the, that's a lessonly SKO bell. There you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, so first question, this one will go to Kyle. Um, so at Lessonly, when you create the category, you know, can you talk about you know the name of the category, or is it you know is your product in multiple categories, and you know did you plan on creating a category when you started at Lessonly? Uh, we didn't plan on creating a category. Our our we live in two as of today, which is LMS, which is our history. It's historical for us, as well as. Um, sales readiness. 
So one of those is because the product was built as an LMS. The other is because um, it's where we have been slated as a technology by analysts or whatever. So we're a little bit different than uh, what Max is probably going to talk about with outreach, where um, we we slotted ourselves into a current category. We did not create one. And I think a lot of, we can get into that a little bit later, but um, we took a, a, a very broad approach to how we looked at categories to say, hey, we serve multiple ones. And in order for us to hit our revenue numbers, we need to support those. Uh, but it has, it has changed over time as the products changed. Okay, all right. How about you, Max? Uh, we're in the sales engagement category, uh, which is a category that we created. And um, the interesting thing is outreach was focused on creating this category before uh, I joined. And, um, you know, it, it, it was a slow start. I think there was some marketing debt when I joined. I think, you know, we were still trying to figure out, is this revenue intelligence, which is now another category? Is this sales engagement? Um, is this revenue engagement? What are the terms that you're supposed to use here? Uh, you know, how do people think about this? Um, if you want to use terms for the CFO, then you know they like to talk about revenue, or the CRO likes to talk about revenue. Enterprises like to talk about revenue, but your end users and like the the, the people that you also have to market to, they hit their sales goals and their sales quotas. They don't talk in terms of revenue. So we had this really hard, you know, kind of debate really about, you know, do we go revenue? Do we go sales? Is it engagement? Is it, is it a customer engagement? Because you also interact with your customers that way. So there were a lot of different things that we had to, to kind of figure out. We had, um, you know, I think we're kind of fortunate to have competitors that were um, heavily funded as well. And they were investing in the space. So, we, you know, we were, we were kind of tag teaming the analysts, tag teaming, uh, you know, the marketing around our category uh, you know, across our competitive landscape. And, um, and now we're finally getting, you know, we, we, we got a, um, what is it, the, the Forrester uh, wave uh, last year, earlier this year, it might've been, I think it was last year. Um, we're getting recognized now. It's finally getting recognized as a category, but it is, it's one of those things where um, it takes a little while. And, you know, there's, I think it's a Benioff quote, but you know, the second you get bored of it is like the minute that, it starts to penetrate externally. And, you know, the second you're, you're, you're in your own hallways saying like, okay, is it time to innovate or, you know, take this to the next level. That's finally when the marketplace is starting to recognize it. So yeah, yeah you gotta be patient, stick with it for a long time. Um, and and uh, yeah, even now as we put out new products, it's, it's still iterating. Like, do we, do we become two different categories for our entire product suite? Is it all, you know, um, part of sales engagement? Do we, do we make it engagement and intelligence? It, it's, it's a never ending process for us. Got it. I remember a few years ago, you sent me a text when I was at G2 and you're like, uh, let's open up this uh, new, new category on, on G2. And we were able to do so really, uh, really quickly. Uh, and I remember that pretty well. Is there a line item in your budget uh, on the marketing budget that's for category creation? Is that something that you guys do when you're doing your annual budgets? Here's the amount of money we're going to put in the you know build on this category. Not for us. Um, I would say there's no like category creation budget, but there are definitely things that we do under brand. Uh, I mean, pretty much everything we do in marketing that that touches on category creation. 
Yeah, same here. Same here. It's not, it's not, it's all brand oriented. Okay. So how do you know uh, you've succeeded in creating a category? Is there like a moment and you're like, man, we just, we did it. Yeah. Uh, well, for one G2 crowd, you know, lists it, other review sites list it um, as a category, the analysts start picking it up. I think they're probably the last, you know, shoe to drop, so to speak. Um, when you know your, your category is finally there. I mean, we still don't have Gartner. Uh, we've got a portion of Gartner, I think, because they acquired a company called Topo, but and, and Topo definitely recognizes us. I think the small analyst firms do a really good job of, of being on the cutting edge and you know talking how the, uh, the companies in that category like to talk. I think the bigger companies that deal with the enterprises like to try and slot you in somewhere uh, until it makes sense for it to be a category of its own. And it's probably a lot of extra work for them and a lot of credibility that they have at stake to do that, to like spin out a whole new category. So I don't necessarily blame them for being slow to, 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 to get to that, but that's definitely like the final thing. Um, I'd say that a lot of companies even have line items in their budgets for your category of product or RFPs that are happening well before the, the analysts, uh, you know, have that. I'd say like the last, you know, maybe major final thing um, would be when the Accentures and Deloitte's and Baines and McKinsey's spin up uh, consulting arms to focus on your category. Uh, you know, if you look at Dreamforce, uh, largest sponsors every year, Accenture, Deloitte, you name it, because they're making a ton of money off setting up Salesforce for companies. So when they can do that with your category of, of product and there's a services component to it, that's when you know you made it. And, and it, it, the interesting part is it scales with your business. Like you're not that interesting to enterprises maybe until you have a services business that Accenture can make money off of. So like there's no reason for, you know, Gartner or any of this down the line stuff to happen until then. And largely it's, it's up to you and your competitors to create that category uh, over time. I think the other thing to add would be when your customers start changing their job titles. I think Anthony from Gainsight said that at one point when, and we've seen that in sales, we are part of the sales enablement category and we have a VP, we have VPs of sales enablement. We have VP, we have directors of sales enablement. And so that's, why the category, you know, once the titles are made, you pretty much, you've had, you have third-party analysts talking about it, whether you, it's a cool, cool tech vendor from Gartner or with the wave or whatever. And then you've got your customers changing titles. Then, you know, you know, you have something there. It's hit mass capacity basically. So Kyle, you mentioned something about, you know, too early companies trying to build a category too early. Do you want to elaborate on that point? Yeah, I, I, I think that if you don't have the resources to do category creation, and, and I'm, and I'm going to say this without being able to tell you what resources you need, honestly, because Max and I both said that we don't have a budget item for category creation. You need the, you need the customer base that's the ideal client profile that fits the category and a customer base that's repeatable so that they can, you can create a community around it, which Max has done very well. Um, you need people that will talk about it, which is your customers and your analysts, right? And you need the money in order to support 
the sponsoring of events, the analyst relationships. And so many times I talk to seed and series A companies that their pitch is I'm going to create a category. When in reality, you haven't even found product market fit. Why the hell are you talking about creating a category? Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to put a pin on it, I'd say series B, unless you're like the most recent funding where you have like billion dollars series A, I think that's a, that's a little bit different discussion, but series B where you found repeatability and you feel like you have an ideal client profile that fits that you can replicate, then you can start talking about um, category creation, especially if you have a very specific one. Lessonly lives in a couple different places. We have a couple different ICPs. So we've had to be pretty general when it comes to our category. Got it. And then you guys have headcount that is focused on, you know, the, the analyst side of the house. I think Max, you, you hired somebody, right? We do not. We don't personally. That's me. Okay. For analysts? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have somebody who does AR and PR. And I think like as you scale, that separates out and then those teams get bigger. Okay. Uh, you know, we're, we're at the stage where you have a headcount for, you know, both, which I think is, you know, also pretty far along. Um, like Kyle said, like they don't have one. And then I think eventually they split out. Kyle, how many uh, different analyst firms do you engage with? Uh, two. Okay. But okay. it's but if you're doing two and it's your CMO and your president doing all of them, it's probably time to, th uh, we've started talking about headcount for, for an AR, for sure. Got it. All right, next question. What is a hashtag fail moment in your career as an entrepreneur? So many. Hell <laughs> moment. I got to save it for the good one. As, a, as an entrepreneur, like, are we going to yeah. go back to like the, my agency days, like right out of college? Sounds good. Oh man. So many. Man, I, uh, that's a great question. A hashtag fail moment from my career. Um, shit. I've got, I mean, I've got one. It's not an entrepreneur though. It's okay. All right. So I was part of a thought leadership team at Exact Target. So we were email marketing platform. We had social email, um, social ads. Basically, now is the marketing cloud at Salesforce. And I was the thought leader around social. So I went and spoke at a bunch of conferences about how you should use Twitter and all that crap. Um, I was flying back from London and my TV on my, the back of the, the seat on Delta didn't work uh, on the airplane. And so I tweeted about it, like tongue in cheek, just joking. And uh, as I was in the air flying back to Indianapolis or flying to LaGuardia, um, our, our entire system went down, like exact targets crashed, like it went out. We had a down, we had a, uh, the system went down. And my tweet was the only one that went through to the head of social at Delta. And so you have somebody that is an author, a thought leader, tons of followers, and my tweet's the only one to come through. And he sent it directly to our CMO, who's Tim Kopp, and said, hey, why is your social thought leader tweeting when your entire social system's down? And I landed in LaGuardia and had text messages and emails and like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you tweeting? And I was almost fired. Like I was almost fired three times from Exact Target and, and, and God... I'm very blessed that they didn't fire me, but that's one of my fail moments as a uh, 
I don't know, somebody in software. That's a really good story. Were all three times you almost got fired around this this one? This one of No, not around Delta, oh, okay. but they were all around me uh, bitching about a brand <laughs> that happened to be a, either a prospect of a huge deal or a customer that had a huge contract. Three Got times. It. Max, you're up. Jeez. Um, yeah, I'll share this one because the founder shared it recently on a podcast. Um, so I started a like super obscure line item on my, uh, my LinkedIn, but I started a media company for, uh, for community managers called CMX. And I kind of stumbled into this thing. I had a really good friend, David Spinks, who, um, you know, had, was a thought leader on community management, was a community manager at a bunch of software companies. He's working on a startup. It was failing. He's like, dude, I, you know, I like what I'm doing, but I don't think this is going to work. I'm not going to be able to pay rent in February. It was like four months away. I had just thrown a very successful, my first sales hacker conference, which made good money. So I said to him, hey, let's throw a conference around community management. Like you can do what I did in the sales hacker space. Let's just do it. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, it's, it's literally that easy. Like we'll get a venue, you promote it to your network. I'll go sell sponsorships. We'll get speakers, we'll, we'll do it. So we put that on, I think it was like six or eight weeks later and we made some good money out of it. So we're like, okay, like this, there's something here. So we quit his other startup, went on, on to this, full-time. I joined him. I was now working on sales hacker and CMX at this time. And we went to do an event in New York city and we overestimated how many people were interested in this topic in New York city compared to San Francisco. So we were like, Oh, we'll do, you know, if we had a 300 person first event, we'll do like a 500 person event in New York city. There's way more companies here, blah, blah, blah. And kind of like fell on deaf ears. We ended up getting like 200 people to register and pay for it. Problem is like we went, and got a bigger venue and spent all this, you know, basically like laid out uh, deposits and things like that on a much bigger event. And we realized that if we continued to throw that event at that location, we would probably lose all the money we made on the first event, which was like 30, 40 grand. And uh, that would be bad. That'd be very bad. So we went to, I don't know, I, I, I don't know how I figured this out, but I found like an art gallery in Soho, used that venue as the venue for the event, canceled all the other stuff for the previous event that we were gonna throw. Obviously contacted the guy, told him we weren't gonna do it anymore and that we're like, we couldn't pay him for the stuff. Made it right by him by, by basically paying him off uh, a little more than we actually needed to in our contracts. And then through this event, we ended up I think like breaking even or maybe making like $1,500 on it, but it was way better than losing 40 grand. So um, to all of the people who came to the event, they were like, oh, we just thought you had like a last minute venue change. Like, you know, no big deal. It looked, it looked smooth. It looked like, okay, whatever. But to me and him, we just went, we were like literally sitting there like, oh my God, we're gonna lose so much money. This is terrible. Like, what are we gonna do? And uh, so to us, we salvaged it, but it was a, it was a fail. And at least publicly, we allowed the brand to live on through further successful events. He went on to sell the company to Bevy. Um, I helped him with maybe one or two more events after that that worked out uh, well and then went on to Sales Hacker full-time and was doing Saster annual for a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a fail in the shadows that, uh, that, that hurt. But um, 
we salvaged it at the end. Speaking of events, I'm curious, are you guys going to get back on the uh, trade show circuit later this year? Yeah, I, I, mean, I threw it with, I threw an event in New York city uh, last Tuesday. It was awesome. Super highly attended. People want to get out. Uh, we'll have our summit series in the fall, which is going to be epic. Um, uh, I'm due with baby number two in September. So I probably will be grounded from, uh, beginning of August to, you know, sometime in November, but, um, after that, I hope to get out. Yeah, we, we are, we've got our user conference in October where it's, it's hybrid. So we've got people showing up in India as well as online, but we're, we're doing sponsorships and everything now. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I look forward to getting back on the road. My wife is, uh, is asking me to uh, get out of the house. Yeah. So I, I got a co-working space. Uh, you know, I recently moved to uh, Boulder, got a co-working space near D Denver, work with a couple employees a week and, uh, she's very happy. I start next week. <laughs> All right. What is an absolute BS that is spoken about over and over again? I, you know, examples, tech crunch, Sasser type tips that are, you know, complete BS, you know, around category creation. What is like the worst stuff you've heard about, like advice around category creation? Um, I, I can't remember if I told myself this or I was told this. So let me just throw that out there before I say it, but uh, ignore analysts. Like I, like that's, um, I just don't, we did it for a while and I think it was detrimental in the long run. There's a certain point where you should do it, at least talk to them. And I've been told multiple times from people to ignore it. And, and after we started our relationships with Forster and Gartner, it made sense to me. Like, why would we be doing, why we would be doing it? Um, I have a follow-up question for you on that one then. Yeah. What if the category they want you to participate in, right? You really don't want to be in that category, right? You do some of the things, but you're like, you know, I can't ace this category test. Like, so what do you do at that point? Uh, well, you can't ignore them because you want, you want to try to, you know, uh, influence them, right. To change. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's not quite fake it till you make it, but you, you got to figure it out. Like if they, if they're going to put you in a wave report and you're not going to talk to them, like you're going to get killed. Right. So you've got to have some balance there. Um, I, I'm not analyst firms have a lot of value. I think there's a lot of payola there, of course. And, um, but there we have, we have gained a lot of value by doing it. And that was just misrepresented when I heard it. Max? Yeah. Um, there's every company is going to say they're number one in your space. And every company is going to say that they coined the term, created the term. And really none of those two things matter because everybody's going to say it anyway. And they're going to point to one obscure fact that they can find that's going to show it. So like, it really doesn't matter. I mean, we've got companies in our space that have like, a hundred customers tops and they'll be like, you know, we're the number one sales engagement platform as rated by some like random review site in like one random category for 
you know, the SMB, whatever. And they will leave out conveniently the SMB part when they say they're number one. Like it, it doesn't matter. People are going to say what they're going to say. And like, you can point to anything and they can point to the same thing. And there's going to be a review here that was bad about this company. And, you know, a review here that was good about this company. It, it doesn't matter. The best thing you could do is focus on yourself, focus on your story, uh, you know, focus on like the category narrative and less about the number one, but like how, what is your vision for the category? How do you see the category unfolding? Like what does your pro problem, does your product solve? And why is that, why does that fit the, 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 the need or the, or the problem that everybody has that's looking for a solution in that category? And, you know, what is going to really help you like win all those RFPs? Don't worry about the whole like number one bullshit or like we were here first type stuff because nobody cares about that. And it doesn't matter at all. You yeah, I think one, one, one quick note on that with the RFPs. I think it's very, very important to note that, that in, there's a huge difference between the need of a category between an enterprise deal and, a, and an SMB deal. We, we took the route of creating a movement around our mission statement, do better work. Like if you, if you were to go to our website over the last three years, it was do better work. It wasn't the number one sales readiness product, right? Um, but as we moved up market, it was very, very important that there was a category component to what we were doing, but we grew pretty significantly just trying to create a movement. So, you know, the, I think it's Ben Horowitz that said the company's story is the company's strategy. I probably butchered that quote, but the narrative is what's important. I don't care if it's a category. I don't care if it's your mission statement, as long as you're, as long as your narrative is community building right? So in an SMB world, you can survive by creating a community, getting customers that are raving fans. But as you move up into the RFP territory, like analysts and category creation is, is, is so important. And is, is very important to the growth of the company, at least in the enterprise segment, from what yeah. I've seen. Okay. Now, Max, you mentioned, you mentioned, um, review sites. So I'm curious, what, what part do review sites play into category creation? Analysts, a lot of pay to play there. And, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it's part of the game. Everybody knows that. I think review sites, same thing, a lot of pay to play there. There's a strategy, there's a way to, to play that game. Um, and you have to prioritize it if you, if you want to do it well. Uh, the companies that I know that are doing the review site game well have headcount there, have budget there. You know, they treat it like a proper campaign they spend money on, um, you know, and they, they treat it as a high priority, uh, you know, part of your, of your marketing um, game plan. Uh, and if you don't and you just have happy customers and you don't do a good job of setting up, you know, NPS and CSAT campaigns to run towards those happy customers at their happiest points and get them the right reviews and, you know, put money towards getting them Amazon gift cards to write reviews and all that other stuff, then you're not going to keep up with competitors that are, and that's fine. Um, but it is, you know, it's gameable, it's, it's pay to play and, uh, you know, that's what we've seen so far. And until I don't, I don't see that being fixed. I think that's like, it's just like Alice. No, it's just, it's the same game and that's fine. Yeah. 
it's the exact same game, which yeah. is what, what other than there is a customer voice component to that, which is very powerful, which they've leveraged pretty, uh, pretty powerfully. What's funny though, is that if you're not in a, if you are not in a category that you think you should be in, you still have to talk to the research team, which is the same thing as what we're doing with Forrester and Gardner. So I love the component of like hook up your MPS. If somebody gives you an eight, nine or 10, you trigger an email to them to say, we'll give you a $50 gift card to do a review on G2. I love that component of it. But the reality is if you want to be in a category, you want to create one, you still have to talk to an analyst team, whether it's G2 or Forrester, Gartner, Topo, whoever. Uh, your customers have to agree with you. That's my absolute truth. If you go off, like we had a, I think it was 2016, Lessonly did a learning automation category creation play and crickets. Customers were like, we don't even know what this means, right? You get your community has to follow you. If they don't follow you, it's not going to happen. Did you come up with the name? Because I was told by uh, Mark Organ, uh, you know, who created, you know, marketing automation, Eloqua, that, you know, you don't, you, the, you know, uh, company don't create the category or the name for the category. Um, so curious to hear your thoughts there, Kyle. Did you guys create the name and then, you know, pushed it? How did that work? I, that was before my time. I'm pretty sure we created it because the crickets that happened after that means that we did it in some meeting, right? Um, I don't, I mean, I'd love, I love Max's take on that. I don't, I don't know if you can just allow your community to like come up with a category. I think you, I think you have to lead them a little bit, but you also need to take in their feedback. Yeah. I mean, it's good to get their feedback, but, um, you know, if you sell to multiple personas, how many different categories are you going to create? Like we sell to a lot of different personas and they, they think about the world differently as, uh, as described earlier about how, you know, CROs and CFOs at enterprise companies, they, they talk about revenue because that's what is in an earnings call, a series, a VP of sales or a, director of sales ops at a series C company is thinking in sales. They don't say revenue, they say sales. So like, who, you know, if we just listened to our customers, we'd be all over the map and we might not have them agreeing um, with each other. So it's tough. I think you need to take a stance. And again, like I said before, you got to be patient and like, you just have to grind that, you know, you, you might get bored of saying over and over again, and you might want to give up because it's not hitting as quick as you thought it would, but eventually it will. And, and you got to execute in the meantime, like everything else, you got to get your product in customer's hands. You got to sell, you got to sell, you got to innovate, you got to market, you got to do everything else. And I'd say like my, the question was what my uh, one thing that I know to be true. That absolute truth. Yeah. Absolute truth. Um, that not everything needs attribution, especially in category creation. So there's every, like there's these people out there and CEOs are like, oh, where'd this dollar go? Where'd this dollar, what did we get out of this? It's like, well, you're talking about category creation. Like, yeah, I don't have a line item for that in the budget, but there are things that you do through brand and, and, and other stuff that I mean, um, 
shit. Like, I, you know, I, I might not be able to tell you where the dollars are coming through from some of the content stuff that we do, but I know that it's worth it. You know, outreach bought sales hacker. And I can tell you that deal was worth it. But I tell you where every dollar went from every, you know, deal generated through, you know, a sales hacker initiative. No, I can't. So I don't know. I think like there, there are a lot of people who harp on attribution, measure everything, all that kind of stuff. Like I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that train of thinking. I think, you know, demand gen, there's a lot of the budget that should be measured and have attribution tied to it, but not every, everything. Yeah. Kind of agree with that. All right. If you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? <laughs> Mine's really easy. Uh, we should have talked to analysts sooner. And I can't believe that I'm even saying that, but that that's the reality. Um, the insight that we got with our first couple sessions with Mary Shea from Forrester, which Outreach decided to hire. So, yeah. Uh, no, thank you, Max. That, uh, <laughs> all but that, our, all that work, how long did that all take? that work, all that work. And then Manny and Max come in and just pull. <laughs> it's time for the bell. <laughs> uh, that I'd say be very thoughtful on when you bring analysts in, because if we, I think it would have had more impact for us uh, two years ago, instead of a year ago when we brought them on. Oh man, this is a tough one. What would I, what advice would I give to my younger self? And it has to do with category creation. No, no, it doesn't. But if you want, you can, you know, I think I'll that keep, oh, that's way more than I would have said that. <laughs> I think I'll keep it on that thread since Kyle went there. Um, we kept it in category creation. Um, hmm. I like his comment on, on paying attention to analysts sooner. I don't know what we could have done better for the ones that put us in a bucket that we didn't belong in. Um, I think doing some kind of cab customer advisory board with some of our larger customers and having it more often and understanding like what verbiage they were using, how they were talking about the space, like almost like creating our own kind of analyst briefing with, you know, larger companies would have been useful for us. Sometimes when you surround yourself with other hyper growth tech companies, you end up in like an echo chamber and your first customers and your lowest hanging fruit as a tech company are the other hyper growth tech companies. You share common investors, people go from company to company, they bring products with them. It's easy. And like, that's your, that's your dominant area. Like you always want to maintain that. You never want to lose that. You never want to see yourself starting to be the, the cargo ship when there's a speedboat that can like, you know, turn and move faster than you. And once that happens, like you end up becoming the Goliath and there's another David that's out there to eat your lunch and you start losing market share or whatnot in your, your smaller companies. You wanna be able to maintain that while also expanding to the enterprise. So not lose your, not lose your cloud 100 type companies while nailing the fortune 500 companies. That's the key, that's what you wanna do. I think what you end up 
doing though is, you know, a lot of times the, the most tech savvy people that get your technology, those early adopters um, or innovators, if you're using like the cross and the chasm terms is you get those tech people that can speak at 301 level terms. And then you speak to analysts and they tell you how to talk to people who can speak at 101 level. And you have to be able to understand how the enterprise talks about this. You have to be able to understand like how you're gonna create your category as you go into different verticals and as you go up market. And it's almost like never too early to start that motion so that it's, it's built into your brand. It's built into how you communicate about your product. So when you guys mention, um, you know, building relationship with the analysts, does that mean just engaging with them and talking to them? Or does that mean, you know, giving them a check and being a customer? Is there a difference? Well, I'll add on uh, my, I have another piece of advice for CEOs in the series A, series B. Um, go to your marketing leader and say, you can take 20, 30% of your marketing budget that goes to brand that I will not question you on that, that will be, we're not going to do some stupid influence model attribution model, which Max, I'm, I'm such a, I could spend an hour just talking about that. Go to your marketing leader and say that. And the decisions that they will make based off the analyst firm will be better because they're not worried about a 30, 40,000, $100,000, however much you're spending with, with any of these firms because it goes into this brand budget. So uh, for me, I like, we did, we did briefings, but it was when we cut the check where the value came and who, I have no idea whether they plan it that way. No clue. The reality was when we became a customer, the value was there. Um, and like I said before, I wish we would have done it a year before that. You really got to be at a good company to, to, to do that. I think like, you know, if a, if a CEO said that at the beginning of the year, okay, here's, you know, X percent of your budget. I you know, don't worry about attribution, do the brand stuff, you know, halfway through Q2 pipelines, not looking good in Q3, Q4, <laughs> yeah. flipping, <laughs> you know, cut, cut that. Well, you got to do your job first. Like exactly. you got to create revenue. <laughs> exactly. So you like, it's hard for a new CMO to say that. Like you almost have to have like a year under your belt of like, Hey, I proved that I could do this four quarters in a row. Let me go work on the, you know, the right stuff here. Um, so I, you know, I agree with you. I agree with you there. Um, do you want to go into some of the stuff that like, you know, I thought made a really big impact on category yeah, creation? Let's do it. Okay. Do you want to tee that up or? Sure. Um, question for you guys, you know, what had the greatest impact in enabling you to build a category? Max. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the first things I did when I joined outreach, uh, was went out and bought the domain name for our category. So I grabbed the salesengagement.com domain name. It was owned by a, uh, consultant in New York city. I didn't want to put a lot of budget towards this. We had sales hacker. So, I bartered with him. Instead of paying him a lot of money, I said, hey, in instead of giving you that money, I can help you get business. What if we put you on like two sales hacker webinars? You'd get like a thousand people that would come to the webinar. You get a chance to meet customers who could potentially sign up for your consulting services. That goes way further than the cash. Um, so I gave him a menial amount of money, put him on the webinars. Um, 
I think I, I tweeted about um, his book and we were able to grab the domain name for very cheap. And then um, at Dreamforce, which was in September that year, we had our conference coming up in March of the following year. We launched uh, the sales engagement domain, salesengagement.com, along with the sales engagement podcast at Dreamforce and announced that our book would be coming out at Unleash in March. So we had a program running with the podcast with a couple episodes out at Dreamforce, classic lightning strike moment if you've read um, uh, Play Bigger uh, by Christopher Lockheed, which is like the category creation book. Um, lightning strike moment at Dreamforce, which is our big event in the fall. And then um, another lightning strike moment at our conference, timed out when our book would launch and we'd have our book on every seat at the conference in, in the spring. So we had, you know, every six months we were able to kind of um, have this revolving lightning strike moment where it's, you know, something else that we did big in a category. And, uh, and that worked out really well for us. So we had, we owned the domain, we owned the, the sales engagement podcast, and we had the book, wrote the book on sales engagement. And we got that published by Wiley, who had published my previous book, uh, Hacking Sales. So I had a relationship there, wrote that book in five days from Miami, um, have a really interesting way of writing business books. We're able to go out and leverage in this case, I think we had like 20 or 25 customers that all wrote um, like 250 to 1,000 word excerpts on different parts of the book around you know sales engagement and how they used outreach in their process. And then we strung that together with, um, you know, I don't know, half the book was written by us at least um, and our own kind of ways of thinking about how to use and leverage sales engagement in your own company. And uh, put that book together, got it out, and um, had a hard copy. And we we use that book in in our sales process today. We use it. Uh, we, you know, we hook up uh, Sendoso, whatever your preferred you know direct mail app is, to outreach campaigns, and um, we send copies of the book to people. And you know, one of my favorite things is um, uh, when we send books to our competitors, like customers, and we're in you know a cycle like that, and then our competitors go in for in-office meetings and they see our books on the on the coffee table it's like hey we're here we're you know we're sniffing around get ready so uh so that's fun but um i think that was a, a really good programming campaign especially to own and uh, help create the category further kyle yeah i i mean the the underlying theme here which we've seen multiple times is just write a damn book and I, and, and you know what, we didn't, we didn't write a book around a category. We ran, we wrote a book around our mission, right? Like our CEO wrote a book called do better work, which is our mission statement. And it had the same effect. Like we use it in sales outreach. We, we have sent 25,000 copies out. Um, so every person I talk to though, that is trying to do this is trying to figure out how to write a book. If you have enough content to write a book around a category, you probably have a pretty good chance to at least make some type of impact. Um, so if we go back to like when you should create a category, if you feel like you have a category, to, if you feel like you have the content to do that, then great. Um, we took a little bit different approach, but it was the same damn thing. We just, we just decided not to do necessarily a category until we knew what the analysts were talking about. But it was definitely a book. It was events. It was building it within the sales cycle. Um, 
and those were the, you know, we use postal, but it's the same thing where we, we put those books within the sales cycle and it helps for sure. All right. I'm going to go off topic here. Um, I'm a big fan of the llama. Can you tell us how that <laughs> came to be? Uh, it's pretty, I mean, it's not that uh, it's a, it's an okay story. The llama, <laughs> Uh, somebody, I'm not even sure we know who it was, drew a llama on a chalkboard in our old office, which was an old school. And Max and Connor, our founder and, and C, our co-founder and CEO, they were like, no go. We are not going to do a llama. This is crazy. Why? Why? I, they just, it was a llama. It was 2013. It was like, llamas aren't cool. They kept erasing it and it kept showing up. And so eventually they just said, all right, let's do a llama. And I got lucky that when I joined in 2017, Target came out with a bunch of llama products. So they were cool. And so Ali Llama, we doubled down on Ali Llama. And it, um, I wish I could tell you why it worked, but man, like we have an Ollie in upstate New York that's a llama on a farm. And it's Ollie. And Ollie calls into our cab events, calls into our Taste Lessonly events has a lessonly blanket that he wears. I mean, it's just, we have Ali Lama and Co., which is our clothing line. Um, it just works really well. And I think it has a lot to do with just how we built Ali into our brand narrative, into our architecture, brand architecture. Um, and Ollie's cute. Llamas aren't, but Ollie is, so it works. <laughs> Max, uh, does Outreach have a, a mascot? Our logo is the Nucleo, like a cell. Okay. Um, it's interesting. It's, you know, our, our, we came up very like science of sales, like data-driven sales. And um, we're a product and customer-led company. Manny was a product guy at Microsoft, Amazon Web Services, worked for Andy Jassy, who's now the CEO of, uh, of Amazon. Um, and our other founders were engineers and, and, and UX folks. So um, the science piece, the nucleo piece makes a lot of sense for the O in outreach. But no, we don't put arms or legs on them or make them sing songs or you know do anything creepy like that. So. No clothing line? No clothing I, line, the no. Yeah, the one the one thing I'll say, which is why it worked, and this is this is for any company that's scaling, is that they decided to do a Golden Llama Award to an employee that exhibited our values. And Ben Battaglia, who was director of marketing um, in 2018, said, "Hey, I think we should give Golden Llamas to our prospects and our customers." And when we made that decision, is when the llama became part of the narrative of Lessonly, right? Like, hey, we give the Golden Llama to our employees who are our best employees. We think you should give the Golden Llama to your employees who exhibit your values. And when that happened, I mean, we've shit, I've, I've spray painted about a thousand of them. I'm pretty sure I'm going to die at, you know, 60 because I've spray painted a thousand llamas, but we've shipped 5,000 of them. And um, that is when, when it becomes part of the internal culture and people believe in it, that is when it works externally. If you can't, like I've, there are plenty of companies that have launched mascots where it's like, what the hell? Because it was just randomly um, created. 
And so it has to be part of your internal culture before it can work externally. That's good advice. Max, do you guys offer customer awards? I have like a, a program around it. You sure? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, we might got to give them out at your conference, right? We definitely do. I mean, we, we have swag that we give out for sure. It's run under customer success, not under marketing. Um, we, I don't know if we have a like customer rewards, but we, we give swag out. It's yeah. Like any other tech company. Yeah. Um, yeah. For us, it's experimentation, right? It's all about experimentation. And so I've been telling Jason our VP of marketing to get the, uh, you know, metadata experimentation award uh, to, to our top customers. Um, oh, I thought you said rewards. No, not rewards. Uh, no, awards. No, awards. No, no, I was like, what? Like, uh, no, but you, you maybe you come up, come up your own, uh, you know, uh, coin, right? So you, uh, you know, you, you can earn some coins, some crypto, you know. We have llama bucks you do. That, our, that our customers can earn through our mobile app, our customer community, and they can spend it on llama gear. Now it's That's not quite sweet. like a, uh, it's not quite a Bitcoin, but we're getting there. Yeah. We talked good. about it as a marketing team, just it's, to be clear. <laughs> it's a decade. All right, guys. Well, I want to thank you. Uh, before we jump off, I'm just curious, um, do you guys have anything that uh, you want to share with the audience, um, promoting any events or books, anything like that? I mean, I, I don't have anything to promote. I just say, uh, don't get too stressed out about all this stuff. Like it's going to happen. You're really good at what you do. We all have no idea what we're doing. Just do what you think is right. Yeah. I say, if you focus on your product, like being the best, building the best product and you focus on making your customers happy, the rest will come. Um, so yeah, don't, don't get too stressed about it. It's probably good advice there. All right, guys. Well, thanks uh, for your time today. Really appreciate it. I learned a bunch of stuff uh, to highlight a couple of things. One is you got to invest in your brand. Uh, and if you pick a, a, you know, really good looking mascot, you can open a clothing line. So those are two things I'm going to take away from today. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Chat with you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and we'll tune in again. Find all the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. 